Buongiorno. Uh, who am I kidding? I don't speak Italian. But one thing I do know is good coffee. That's right. I'm a self-described coffee nerd. And uh, I do love coffee from Italy, especially Lorenzati coffee. And if you guys love uh, Italian coffee as much as I do, then head on over to lorenzati.coffee and grab yourself some of the best coffee that I've had in a long time. These days, you can get good coffee just about anywhere, but why not have it shipped directly to your house? Any order over $15 is automatically free shipping, so you can't beat that. But if you want to do a little bit better on the price, you can always enter in the promo code RWAC for Rebel with a Cause, and you can save 10% off of every order. So guys, go stock up on your coffee. Do it now. Once again, that is Lorenzati.coffee. And as always, it's linked down in the show notes below. Check it out. Welcome back to a brand new edition of Rebel with a Cause. And joining me, longtime friend, several time guest on the podcast, uh, Dexter De La Paz from the Scarlet Thread Society, the Gaslight Hour, and uh, your, one of your favorite accounts to follow on Twitter, I'm sure. How's it going, buddy? Oh, it's going phenomenally. Thank you so much for having me back. Uh, not a problem at all. Figured to come back from the, uh, the hiatus there and uh, get some of the old buddies back on and Shoot the shit, talk about our favorite conspiracies, that kind of stuff. <laughs> Getting the band back together, huh? Yeah, exactly. Just need to get an old crappy van and <laughs> tour from city to city. That would make it even better. Oh, absolutely. A little mystery machine all of our own. <laughs> yeah, just a white van with a uh, with a scarlet thread just hanging off the side. Oh, sure. A whole ball of yarn rolling out the back. <laughs> Keep people guessing. It's like, what's going on with the free candy van? I don't get it. <laughs> all right so i guess it's a uh, time to uh gab like girls here so how's things how's your mom and them <laughs> you know the family's doing all right well that's good good news abounding well that is definitely good uh so you started a new little podcast over there with the uh, the timeline earth boys with a uh, scarlet thread uh what you got going on uh, over there for uh coming up or some of the episodes you've already dropped yeah, so when they decided to do their rebrand and set up this new format, it turns out they were one host short to put out a podcast every Friday. Yeah. And they were uh, nice enough to invite me along for the ride. Sweet. Take up that fourth spot for them. And so the final Friday of every single month, you'll be getting a dedicated podcast from old Posse here. <laughs> and uh, I have full creative and uh, directorial control there. Oh, so you don't got car breathing down your neck about saying uh, the N word and everything else, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not uh, not that that's my shtick, anyways. Yeah, exactly. No <laughs> union thugs watching me. So uh, really, what we're doing is every month we're exploring just a little bit more of the weirdness that pervades our world and that most people refuse to talk about on uh odd numbered months we are tackling declassified government files 
and the shenanigans of the power elite. And on even numbered months, we've been tackling mysticism and weirdness that uh, people believe pervades our worlds and in many cases does in fact. Month one, we began looking at declassified CIA UFO reports. Yeah, there was a whole, it was like thousands of documents, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So the UFO stuff alone is something like 16,000 pages. And then I've got another 98,000 pages on their research into psychic ability. So I'm going to be going back yeah. to the CIA well for a long, long, long time. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of content there to do shows about, I'm sure. Oh, Especially absolutely. with the uh, psychic phenomenon thing. It's uh, really interesting when you kind of look at the history of that. Like Russia started looking into that stuff in the 80s. And so the CIA felt compelled that they needed to look into it too, <laughs> type of thing. Well, I'm sure they were going way before then. Yeah. Because I've already found in the source documents that the CIA started nosing around as early as the beginning of the 60s with this stuff. Yeah. It took them a while to get the money together to go deeper. But, you know, <laughs> they've got prospectuses for research projects stated as early as like 63. Yeah, I, I can yeah. believe that. Yeah. Who knows what I'll find when I get even deeper. You know, the more documents you look at, the more you see. So there's there's a lot going on there. You, not to spoil future content too much, but the oddest thing about that too is that the CIA research into psychic phenomenon was oddly enough called Stargate. Now, <laughs> it's funny how they the, choose those names. Yeah, wouldn't that be the natural name for the UFO project or something? You right. might think, but no. <laughs> and uh, just a shout out here too. I've been accessing those classified docs from the blackvault.com the gentleman who runs that site is just an absolute king, a real foil warrior, and I cannot give him enough credit for being able to dig all that stuff out for amateur researchers like me. Oh, yeah, I, I'm, I can imagine. There, there's always going to be that guy or those uh, or that group of people out there that's just going to dive headfirst into that stuff and pull out all of the juicy nuggets. Yeah, well, so the nice thing about him and what he's doing there at the Black Vault is that he's the one who's uh, filing the FOIAs. You know, he's not even necessarily collating the research himself, though he does do a lot of that. But the real value of him to me is the fact that he just has the time and with his following base, the resources to sit there, yeah. fill out the FOIA paperwork, and then organize the files for us so that we can look at them ourselves. And that's the real important thing there is the decentralization of that knowledge. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's no small effort right there. Cause you're dealing with government paperwork that of stuff that they don't want you to know about. And uh, if you know how to navigate all of the, you know, crossing all of the T's and dotting all the I's in that paperwork and then kind of putting it into some semblance of an order and then sending it out there. Yeah. That's no small task. That, that guy's got a, a big job. Yeah. You know, fill out this form correctly then mail it to the appropriate person, right? The correct filing fee or whatever the case may be in a given instance. It's, it's immense. And I can't even imagine having to do it in my current state. You know, it's, <laughs> it's a full-time job of its own. Yeah. I don't even want to fill out paperwork at my day job, much less uh, deal with the government in any other capacity, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think anybody <laughs> does to be honest, but you know, we do what we have to, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. So I'm, you know, hats off and salutes to that guy for <laughs> wading through that, uh, that pile of, uh, red tape ocean, uh, in order to get us that stuff because it uh, makes things a little bit easier for everybody else. So, you know, many hands make light work as they say. Absolutely. Yeah, so the uh, I think the latest episode I heard was uh, you with one of the guys from Insurrection Inc. talking about the Kabbalah, which I thought was a little interesting. Yes, right there, the uh, February episode. Yep. And, you know, it's such a deep, deep topic. I was just saying in the episode description, actually, how we only just barely began to scrape the surface of it. Yeah. You know, we spent almost an hour and a half talking about just the lightest touching of the time frame and the time scale of what it was and sort of a little bit of a discussion about the origins of it as a system without even really beginning to get into just what it was. There's, you could devote whole podcasts, whole oh, yeah. long successful podcasts to the topic, but it was a nice primer for some other stuff I'll have coming up in the future months. You know, yeah. I, guess, uh, I came away with that episode. I was like, Oh, well they did the Kabbalah appetizer. We haven't even, hadn't even gotten into the main course yet, much less dessert. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know just how much we'll be talking about it beyond that, because uh, here's your little preview, right? For your audience only. I won't <laughs> mention this anywhere else. Give you it give it to you as a Ooh. teaser. Rebel with but, a cause uh, exclusive. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The uh, future updates in that will be then next tackling the Christian Kabbalah. And eventually yeah. the Hermetic Kabbalah. And I plan to spend a good amount of time on both of those because those are really the nuts and bolts of all Western mysticism. Yeah. Uh, just from my cursory, cursory uh, research into those, uh, you're going to find a lot of those rabbit holes kind of intersect with each other. Absolutely. So and that's why we call it the Scarlet Thread, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the thread <laughs> runs through it all. Yep. Uh, now here's an interesting note. Uh, there was a really craptastic movie. I think about 10 years ago, maybe, uh, nine years ago called Noah starring Russell Crowe as Noah. That whole movie is Kabbalah reference after Kabbalah reference. See, now I never went out of my way to see that one and I have <laughs> not to this day, but I always got the impression, you know, even just from seeing the trailer back in the day that I would just, you know, be able to have a field day with it, that there would be. Oh yeah. There's just tons of stuff in there. with symbolism everywhere. Yeah. They get deep into the Nephilim. They even drop the name Zohar and a whole bunch of the, uh, of the story. Oh, I'm, really? Yeah. I mean, the, the movie itself is just complete garbage, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, when you're watching that whole thing and how they kind of put it all together, it's like, yeah, somebody with a little bit of esoteric knowledge wrote this script. Sure. Somebody with preferences and biases might've had a role on the writing committee, huh? Yeah. Yeah. There was, uh, there was some definitely, I mean, even the director himself, I'm, I'm pretty sure made some uh, stylistic choices that you just kind of go, okay, I, I kind of see what you did there, buddy. <laughs> I'm sure, onto well, you. <laughs> I might have to just go and watch it now tonight. Then it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, if you're already in the, in the Kabbalah thread, yeah, definitely uh, take a look at it because it's got stuff all over the place in that movie. Yeah, so my evenly numbered month episodes, the ones dealing with schools of thought and sort of themes out there in the world, yeah, those are going to be devoted to the various schools, approaches, and backgrounds of Kabbalah uh, for at least a few months. I assume until at least the beginning of the summer, maybe into it, depending on 
just how far I end up going. You know, I want to do these series. I want to fully cover every topic to the best of my ability with that show. Yeah. But at the same time, there is so much content everywhere that you got to change it up every now and then. So people don't get into a rut or stay excited for the show, you know? So, oh yeah. Yeah. You definitely got to mix it up. It I mean, that's what I like to do around here too. So <laughs> can't do comedy all the time. Sometimes I got to get buckled down and serious here, here and there. So <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Totally get it. <laughs> You know, it's, it's like a pitcher, you know, with baseball already coming up, pitchers reporting soon. You got to be able to change up your throws, right? Yeah, exactly. Got to keep the other team guessing. <laughs> so, uh, other than, uh, that going on, uh, the gaslight hour, how, how is everything going over there? You guys still, uh, cranking out episodes? Yeah. Yeah. That's show has always had a pretty erratic release schedule. Yeah. Very. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's the word, right? Yeah. We we like to take our time. We like to do a good job. And we we like to really make sure everything's hammered down before we put out anything over there. So it's still very much a going concern. We are still rocking on our schedule such that it is. <laughs> yeah, to me, it's always like a nice surprise seeing it in my uh, podcatcher. That's like I look down, it's like, oh, look, there's a new Gaslight Hour. <laughs> I like to tell myself that we ambush our listeners for just that reason. You know, yeah. we can't let anyone uh, start expecting us. Can I keep people on their toes? Yeah. Maybe you can uh, change the name to surprise motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was a uh, one month there. I saw it was like two episodes of the gaslight hour and then a couple of episodes of the damn woods. And I was like, Whoa, what is going on? <laughs> All kinds yeah, of stuff yeah. going on the un the invisible hand of the podcast market it will provide yeah exactly <laughs> yeah every now and then i have to keep checking to make sure that stuff is still subscribed i was like oh man did i miss episodes what's going on i haven't seen them in a while and it's like oh no they just haven't put anything out yet i was like okay i just have to wait <laughs> yeah you know it's a it's a grind for amateurs and semi-pros yeah i really admire the people who are able to just crank stuff out constantly and on schedule every single time it's <laughs> it's a feat all of its own and i've got a lot of respect for the people who do it that way yeah there was a, a time a couple of years ago i tried doing a uh, a five show a week uh arc and i did the five days in a row and at the end i was like man i there's no way <laughs> there's it's just no just way exhausting yeah by the end of the week, I was all hoarse. I was like, man, I don't think I ever do this much talking in real life. And I'm extroverted to the, to the tits. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's right. pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm sure it helps that a lot of the people who are able to do the daily shows and stuff like that, you know, they've got production teams behind them. They've got a pro editor just on staff with their show. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot of background work that goes into any kind of broadcasting that I, for one, certainly appreciate. And I hope that people out there appreciate too, because no job in this thing is easy, let alone when you're trying to wear all the hats yourself. Yeah, that's definitely true. I do all the stuff myself and you know, having to learn how to do like audio editing and now video editing. It's uh, it's, it's a lot to take in all at once. You know, if I had the, the cash and could like pay somebody on five star, you know, it's, right. it's like, you know, here's $20 an episode just, just to edit this stuff. So, so I don't look like an idiot, you know? <laughs> sure. Sure. But you know, it's good to develop and to have those skills too. 
on the other hand, you know, I really also appreciate just how much doing Scarlet Thread has already taught me about audio editing. These are muscles that I haven't flexed or used since high school. And it's, it's pretty cool to begin back into the production side of it too. Yeah. Because that's not one of my roles at the Gaslight Hour. You know, that's just not part of what I do for them. So it's, it's something else getting back into it like that. Yeah. And it's, uh, when I first started getting into audio, um, uh, recording and, uh, doing a little bit of the editing myself, it kind of forced me to think three dimensionally. I was like, okay, no, I'm going to want to go back and, you know, take out this sigh or this like little lip smack that I've got in there that apparently I do just about every episode. And it drives me nuts when I have to go through the episode and delete all the little lip smacks and everything. So uh, that's the other thing too, right? Yeah. Au- editing your own audio, you begin to pick up what your personal tell is or what that thing you do is. And it, it drives me insane when I'm editing you know, just the two episodes of Scarlet thread that I've done when I have to go back through and clean those up because I, I know for a fact, I always miss just a couple of them too. And it's, yeah, you know, it's maddening. And really, is. <laughs> yeah, it's like every now and then it's like, uh, you know what? I'm just going to leave that, you know, in there, I'm going to leave the ums. <laughs> right. So for me, you know, I don't want to draw too much attention to it, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out anyways. For the careful listener, you'll pick up on my tell pretty quick once you start listening for it. I will sometimes hitch my breath just a little bit if I'm thinking really hard about something before I choose the words I want to say. Right. It just drives me bananas because I can tell I'm doing it. You know, I'll make a (laughs) nice big inhale that's just loud enough to hear while I'm choosing the first word I want to go with in a sentence. And it's it infuriates me every time I hear myself doing it, but it's such a unconscious reflex you know you right. actively train yourself out of those habits yeah yeah for me it's the uh the that i <laughs> i just tend to do it just every episode and so i'll go through there and i'll just find where that little audio spike is at and then just like all right just delete it we'll throw it a you throw some uh, dead air on top of it just so you don't notice it's there yeah, it was I like, don't know what your preferred program is, but Audacity really does make that easy. And I assume other software yeah. does too. You can basically automate it after a certain point, which is nice. Yeah, you can uh, highlight the uh, the noise and then tell the program to delete it. And I always go back through and just make sure that it caught everything. Uh, Absolutely, you have to. You know, That's being a responsible editor and a responsible host, <laughs> keeping the tracks clean for everybody, bringing you a premium audio experience. Yeah, really. Yeah. So, uh, when I listen to some of the other podcasts because I listen to all of them pretty much. And, uh, one thing that always drives me up the wall is when the host says, Oh, well, we'll edit this out at the end. And then you get to the end and then they talk for another five minutes. And I was like, you didn't mean for that part to be in there. You should have cut the recording. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, I think it's actually a little bit charming when yeah. some shows do that. I think it can be really fun. It adds a very casual atmosphere. That's part of the hominess that some shows have. And I really enjoy that myself. Yeah. Yeah. I think a podcast should be kind of like uh, almost semi-glossed, you know, there should still be some rough around the edges type of stuff going on. Sure. It's part of the environment you want to create too, as a host or as a project, you know, there's different people that want to have a certain feel to how they sound and what they do. And it's super important that you really understand your own brand and your own vibe and strive to bring yourself to that standard of excellence every single time, whatever that may be or whatever that approach is. 
yeah, that's the uh, way that we can learn. You know, you just kind of do stuff and you're going to understand what kind of grates on your nerves when you're editing yourself. And it's like, okay, well, there's just make it a conscious effort not to say that anymore. Or, uh, with me, it's the, you know, retracing of stories I've told before. And, and it's like, uh, no, I've already told the story about the guy trying to smoke crack while I was driving for Uber. I'm just going to leave that one alone for right now. <laughs> Give the listeners a break. They don't need to hear all of my jokes. <laughs> well, you got to save some for the stand-up sets, right? Yeah, really. I need to get back into that. That's uh I stopped doing it in like 2003, 2004. I really need to get back to it. It's just uh, one of those things. It was like, man, I hate the fact that I had to go pay bills and couldn't do it anymore. But uh, it's always been in the back of my mind, so to speak. Well, if 2020 taught us anything in retrospect, <laughs> there's no better time than the present, right? Yeah, very true. And um, unfortunately, I kind of live in the uh, the black hole of comedy uh, Baton Rouge. So there's not really a comedy scene. Uh, I could go to New Orleans, but again, there's no comedy scene there. I think the next nearest place that actually has some semblance of a comedy scene would be Houston, you know, but, uh, oh, well, it's, it's all fun. Sure. Well, you know, that's all the more reason to just make one, right? That's right. There's a hole in the market in there. <laughs> oh, did I lose you? No, no, I'm still here. Oh, okay. I was just ruminating on the feasibility of an anarchist comedy club. <laughs> uh, yeah, instead of there being a check drop, it's just uh, everybody swiping their phones for the uh, the Bitcoin pay. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying, you know. <laughs> yeah, before be the whole... Yeah, before the whole lockdown and everything started, I was uh, kind of thinking, I was like, man, maybe I should just go buy a club and just start producing comedy and... I was thinking about this great like mock debate type thing that's all comedy focused uh, and just like make that like the Wednesday show or something like that. And then I was even starting to call the banks and everything to see if I can get a loan to, to open a, uh, a comedy club. So that's about how far that idea got before the, the lockdowns hit. And I was like, okay, well, this is just not ever going to work. <laughs> well, you know, in the darkly ironic and painfully, humorous but not actually funny department this is almost a better time to do it then though with the way the lockdowns really purged every economy everywhere yeah i could probably buy some uh real estate like on the cheap i'm pretty sure <laughs> you know i was actually just thinking about that the other night myself i was up ungodly late you know half delirious with a fever and i got to thinking to myself well, why aren't there more maker spaces around, you know? And I thought, well, okay. I mean, between membership fees and maybe a private library on premises, maybe you could just make a go of it in a sufficiently big market. And, you know, the market I'm in right now, Kenosha, Wisconsin, probably isn't big enough. But Milwaukee only has one maker space. Hmm. And who knows how many there are down in Chicago, but you know, those are the fibs anyways. I'm not sure I want them. <laughs> yeah, really. So, uh, you know, there's, there's room for that sort of stuff and it's not a challenge to be taken lightly, but at the same time, those sort of physical spaces are very important. And when you get into things like intentional communities, they're always worth doing because those are the backbones of structural change 
that we all wish we could see in a world that's just rampant with statism, right? Yeah, uh, and that's why the the thing like Childerberg is such a is such a great thing because you know we're always talking about community this and community that, and uh, you know looking forward to to seeing each other at least once a year, uh, maybe twice a year, and then um, you know the tasting anarchy guys going around look actually looking for property to to build something on. So it's a uh, intentional community seem to be all the rage. You know, I'm in a couple of telegram groups that are focused towards that. It's like, Oh, we, well, we found this uh, property out in Oklahoma that could uh, suit our needs. You know, who's got $396,000 to put on it, you know, sure, <laughs> type sure. of stuff. Well, and that's why I think this sort of thing that we're talking about is actually a really nice intermediary step Yeah, because these sort of dedicated year round or even daily meetup locations and businesses create economic engines that can then drive towards those actual build the community goals, you know, yeah. it creates a ready group. And it also creates through the, uh, I don't even know what word I was going to use there. It also creates <laughs> the means to do it through right. economic production. So yeah, like kind it kind of occurred to me that it's a good stepping stone to get there. Yeah. Like you said, with the maker spaces, I mean, that's nothing but a, a brain trust, really. You know, this guy might be good with welding. That, that guy might be good with electronics. You know, you can all feed off of each other, uh, just getting all of that basic, uh, you know, hands-on information too. So it's always a good thing. Absolutely. And that was kind of another thought I had lurking in the back of my mind. Those are the sort of places that attract general competency. Yeah. And, you know, you don't necessarily know anything about the inclinations or predispositions of the sort of people who would apply for membership. But, you know, you also have a pretty good idea and you can feel that out in an application process. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially when you got people that work with their hands most of the time. Uh, yeah. Probably they're going to be a little socially awkward, maybe. Uh, but aren't we all? Uh, but the level of intelligence needed for, you know, small electronics work or welding or just simple like cabinetry where you're having to put the everything in its uh, order of operations. Uh, you're not going to get some crazy loon. Uh, and if you do, I mean, that that guy is going to be like one in a thousand type of thing and could be easily asked to to leave, you know, that type of stuff. Sure. So. Or maybe you'll get lucky and they'll even be a savant, you know? You yeah, really. No. Yeah, exactly. So that's all, that's all the type of stuff that we're looking for. So. Yeah, just another idea I'd been kicking around, you know. Well, that's definitely a worthwhile idea to kick around. I mean, definitely uh, you got to meet like-minded people. And some of the best ways to do that is, uh, you know, through uh, simple projects that everyone can share the the workload on. Uh, Makerspace is probably really good for that, especially if you're uh, loaning out a space for you to work, you know, tools and everything that they may not have. It's also a good way to build camaraderie. You know, it's just like, uh, hey, at the end of the day, we're all going to share a six pack and swap stories and everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's that's one of the things that uh, turned me on is just uh, trying to get people together and uh, just forget everything else that's going on and just kind of take care of ourselves. Yeah, man. I know I kind of took us way off topic there, but... Uh... <laughs> Yeah. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, we can always steer it back. I mean, this is what the the powers that should not be don't want, right? They don't want people talking to each other. They don't want them learning from each other. Sure, you know, heavens forbid someone on a podcast accidentally come up with an idea and mention it to someone and get the ball rolling on something, right? Yeah. Yeah, I can't tell you how many uh, podcasts I've listened to where the creative juices started flowing after I heard the episodes. (laughs) It's... It's like, oh yeah, you guess you could do that that way. And that'll make so sense. What if you did it that way? Right. Like this, and then you mention it to someone else. And, and who's got an even better idea? Something right. that you didn't even think of. So. Brain worms, but in a good way. Yeah, I want to say it was a, a few years ago. It was like some of the uh, the shamans over in Africa to some of the tribes. Uh, they were saying, yeah, you know, people from the UN would come and they would listen to our stories. And uh, then all of a sudden, you know, they were telling me I couldn't spend any more time in my tribe and tried to separate me from the tribe and everything. It was like, oh, I wonder why they don't want this kind of information being discussed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's such an important part of imperialism is the necessary brain drain. Oh, yeah. You see it here in the continental United States with the way people get sucked into the vortexes of our major metropolitan areas. Yeah. You see it on an actual empire scale with the number of students who come to the U S every single year, you know, from abroad. Yeah. That's like uh, go to any engineering school in the U S you're not going to find, you know, Bradley or Madison in there. It's all going to be guys from India and China. Learning that stuff. Which is not necessarily a bad thing either because you love to see it. You really, really do. I love to see people get the opportunities to make the most of themselves uh, wherever they need to do it. Yeah, uh, those type of people, I mean, they're the pessimistic ones. They're the ones who kind of look at their lot in life from their home countries and it's like, yeah, yeah, whatever it is, it's not going to happen here. (laughs) I, I need to go. Somewhere that, that I'm going to be able to get educated and improve my lot in life uh, just from that. But at the, you know, at the same time, I kind of look around and I see just so much wasted potential with people. And it's like, I mean, you do realize you can do this, right? I mean, we don't have to go out and buy the brand new thing. If this thing is just broken, it could be fixed. Yeah, I guess you know, uh, everything's that- got this, it's all disposable type mentality and it drives me nuts sure and you know that does make me just think too about um the state of u.s higher education and how much longer that'll be true how much longer our universities will be drawing top talents it's hard to say but yeah i was like even my profession you know in the 70s and 80s you didn't have to have a degree to do drafting i mean you could just show up out of high school with a uh, with an engineering company and they would teach you how to do it while you were doing it. You didn't have to have a college degree for it. And then all of a sudden, you know, oh, now you have to have a two-year associate's degree for it. It's like, why? It's just working with a computer now. You know, you can spend six months to a year learning the basic functions of the thing and then just learn as you go. So I don't, just, as a, that's another thing that just drives me crazy. It's like, there's no need for there to be a piece of paper associated with my name to do this job. I mean, there really isn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, credential inflation already has been the death of a lot of industries and it's only going to keep going too. Yeah. I can't, 
can't wait for the college degree in uh, physical security guard. You know, it's like, <laughs> man. So those companies are already given preferential hiring for people with degrees or with other certain backgrounds that aren't even necessarily related to security. I did a while in security and I got to say it drove me nuts. It really did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did that myself after uh, getting out of the army and a little brief stint, you know, selling cars and everything. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go to the security trade. I can, that's an easy job. I can do that. Uh, and then you would find like the account managers and everything that have MBAs. Right. It's, exactly. It's like, it's like, dude, you have an MBA. What are you doing here? <laughs> I mean, at most you're filling out a spreadsheet for hours and uh, filling out reports. I mean, that's, that's not MBA worthy, you know? You know, and a lot of account managers aren't even doing that stuff. Cause as I learned the hard way in my position and on the account I was at, the uh, shift captains ended up doing almost all of that heavy lifting anyways, right. including myself, you know, I can proudly say on my resume that I have all of this experience with expenses, with hours and with payrolls, even though it wasn't really my job in the first place to do. Right. <laughs> it wasn't explicitly written out in the job description, but I ended up doing it anyways. Right. Yeah. It just gets up one. It's like, uh, it's like, man, what are they, what are they paying you? You know, $28 an hour for you're not even doing this. Yeah, you've got a uh, MBA and your job is to kiss this client on the mouth. <laughs> and other places. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, it just gets so it gets irritating. And then uh it's like, okay, well you're going to send me out to this post to do this job and then you're not going to give me hiring or firing ability. So I can't even get the the right people out here to work, you know. <laughs> right. Because like, that, that's the nature of corporate politics, too, though, is exactly yeah. what that is. I guess I don't know that for a fact, but I get the impression that that's a lot of what that boils down to. <laughs> it doesn't make it any less infuriating to be one of the goons on the ground doing that stuff. But <laughs> yeah, then the other thing is uh, I remember one time I was doing the security job and um you know, I had uh, a whole bunch of people just show up and it was like, yeah, they hired us to, to come out here and do the night shift. I was like, okay, you realize it's 11 PM to 8 AM and you're basically going to be working during lunch, you know, and I've got a whole bunch of people just not in uniform, just hanging out in the guard shack. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was like, I, I wouldn't really have any of you out here working. Cause I'm pretty sure half of you are going to go over to the plant infirmary and just start ripping off Tylenol threes. You know, as soon as you can. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. but nope. Turned out to be welding rods. That was what half oh, of them no. stole, you know, because oh, no. <laughs> that's easy enough stuff to sell on the, on the weekends, I guess. Right. Goodness. <sighs> so, so crazy. Uh, let's see. There's one piece of news that I heard about and I can't find any information on it. And I was wondering if you had any info on it. Apparently Joe Biden had called Rob DeSantis of Florida. And there's a transcript to this call where Rob DeSantis basically told Joe to go fuck himself before hanging up the phone on him. Yeah. I've, heard, I've heard this in several different places, but I can't find it anywhere. And that's driving me crazy. You know, I've, I've heard that story now too. And I heard it reported 
by some reporter on Twitter. I don't know if anyone ever actually took the time to write up an article about it. Oh, maybe that's it. It was just the scuttlebutt. I don't know. But it's something that I totally believe, just knowing what we know about both individuals. Yeah. Because I I think at one point, DeSantis called Joe Biden just plain Joe. And then Joe had to respond with, uh, that's Mr. President or President Biden to you. (laughs) type of thing he's like he was pulling rank on him was that like the 11th or the 12th of the month you know just a week or two ago yeah i want to say it was either uh last week or the week before that but i've heard it from a couple of different podcasters now but i've never been able to find like a transcript of it or an audio of the call or anything like that i'm actually looking around right now and all i'm seeing are pretty cleaned up versions of it so I'm yeah. guessing that the news they were talking about has made it to published articles, but no one exactly wants to be the ones who actually put the words out there, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what was so crazy about that is uh, Biden's talking about just locking the entire state of Florida, like not letting anybody go in or out. And then DeSantis having to say, well, if you do that, I'll deploy the Florida state national guard to make yeah. sure that that happens. You know? You know, and you love hearing about stuff like that, though. I know a lot of people aren't huge on incrementalism, but seeing states forcefully assert their own rights against the federal government is a very small step in the right eventual direction. So, you know, I'm all for that kind of thing. Go ahead, try and put a lockdown on one specific state and just see what happens. Yeah. I think we'll finally start to see just how weak the federal government actually is when it doesn't have enforcers and it has to act against an actual physical body itself. Yeah. You know, because for as much occupy for as much land as the federal government occupies, it's really not pervasive. You know, it relies on its authority more than it does its ability to project power. Yeah. And for the most part, the uh, they've got everybody so uh, brainwashed and propagandized to that. They, that the local, people will stick up for the federal government when it comes to things. Uh, I mean, you see that sometimes when you're talking to like sheriff's deputy, it was like, so if the FBI just came here unannounced, would you assist them? And a lot of them will say, yes. I was like, no, that's not how it's done. They're supposed to ask you permission to be in your County or parish. Like I'm here in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they're not supposed to be here. You know, they, you're the highest elected official in this area. <laughs> Yeah, they are supposed to ask you before they come rolling in here. Right. You can treat it like a formality if you want to. You shouldn't, but you can. But they got to ask. You know, the feds are literally vampires. They have to ask to come in. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And as we all learned when when we watched the uh, the Lost Boys, you know, you lose all your power when, when you've given permission, you know, so... You know, that really is the truth, though, isn't it? Yeah, because uh, for those that don't remember that movie, and uh, spoiler alert if you haven't watched a movie from the 1980s, but uh, so they invite the vampire in, played by Edward R. Herman, which is the most hilarious thing ever, because the guy was never like what you would consider to be a villain. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're feeding him garlic and everything else, and he goes, no, I love it, actually. And <laughs> it was like, but you ate garlic. And he goes, but you gave me permission to come in. You lost all your power. Couldn't do anything. 
You know, and that really is a great movie too. That's another one I'm gonna have to rewatch. <laughs> You're sitting here just adding to my film list left and right, man. I'm gonna be uh, up till four watching all of these. Just taking notes. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that That's movie not a was bad uh, way to spend a Saturday night though, anyways. Yeah. So that movie was great because it had the red pill grandpa. It was like, you know, the one thing about living in Santa Clara that, you know, always got on my nerves was all the damn vampires. Like he's been knowing about it for all this time. <laughs> Did you ever see John Carpenter's vampire movies? Oh, the one with James Woods. Yeah. The first one. Great. The second one with Bon Jovi. Not so much, man. Okay. Let me beef with you right here. <laughs> I love John Bon Jovi. And he's only done four or five films, but I love that guy as an actor. <laughs> he even did a PG 13 version of uh, cry wolf. Yeah. Like uh, it was sort of a thriller slasher type deal. Yeah. Where he's the uh, hot teacher at a boarding school. Because was, he would be. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun. And I actually, you know, I love John Bon Jovi, his prog shit politics aside. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed him as an actor. Yeah. It's like one of the best things he was in that move, that submarine movie U571 and the part where he drowns the theater I was in, in Houston, Texas, everyone stood up and cheered. It was, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, I don't like that guy. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm sure down there he's just another carpet bagger to you guys. But. <laughs> well, I, I can't really uh, complain too much. I'm kind of a carpet bagger too. I was born in Omaha, Nebraska, so I'm one of those damn Yankees. I came down here, moved, and then stayed. <laughs> right. But yeah, so yeah sometimes it'll, I'll I'll trip people up because they're like, "Well, it's like, well, you've been a Southern boy for." I was like, "Yeah, but you know." Well, about that. <laughs> I was like, I moved here in the nineties and just never left. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's been fun, but yeah, the, uh, I love the first one. Cause James Woods was just like, so over the top as that character is the vampire hunter. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, when I was watching the second one, I was like, man, this one just doesn't have the same thing as the first one does. And I guess it was just because it didn't have James Woods in it. Yeah. There's a little bit of a different magic to it for sure. There's different vibes. You can tell that they're while well, they're in the same Carpenter vampire verse, they, they really are pretty <laughs> different films intrinsically. Yeah. And I guess what made that first one so good is that pretty much you could tell that James Woods was just kind of left off the leash with the with the improv because you could tell like half of those lines probably weren't in the script anywhere. <laughs> right, right. Well, he looks over at the priest and he goes, So when you know, I smacked you around, did you get hard from that one? It was like <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Yeah, you know, and that's that just it uh script wise you can tell that a lot of it probably was improv because it just didn't really feel like a carpenter movie for a lot of it either yeah yeah you know what i'm saying very true i mean if you watch like the uh escape from new york escape from la and um big trouble in little china you could tell that there was a they probably stuck a little bit closer to the script and uh, i'm pretty sure carpenter is one of those guys is like okay you know here's a take have fun so would you come with it yeah but i guess in that vampires movie he was just like okay let's roll until we stop yeah, let's let's see what happens we got a star here with us this time <laughs> yeah that that movie will always uh, hold a special place in my heart because i was in uh, fort benning georgia and uh, in the 90s when that happened 
And I, I specifically went to the movie theater to fall asleep in the theater. <laughs> and oh, I just really? needed something on. And I ended up staying up and watching the whole movie because it was so so good. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was an interesting era of film too, just in general. Not yeah, late nineties. Yeah, I had a whole bunch of uh, interesting films from there. This uh, Dark City was one with uh, Rufus Sewell, where they're kind of floating around on this rock, and uh, it's the the city itself is at night all the time. Pretty interesting flick. Had uh, Jennifer Connelly in it. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, the pre Matrix movie, The Thirteenth Floor, was another yeah. good one. One of my personal favorites, Event Horizon. It's probably one of the scariest horror movies of all time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's creepy. It's weird. It's surrealistic. A little <laughs> bit different vibe than these other ones we're talking about, obviously, but you know, just talking yeah. about the era that late nineties movies there. Horror in space. And it's, it's creepy too. Yeah. I, I recently rewatched it. Uh, last year I did my, um, my movie challenge and I watched 366 movies in 366 days since it was oh, a leap year. Moly. <laughs> and that was one of the movies. I think it was like 190 something. But uh, sitting there watching it, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to forgive the late 90s computer graphics because they're just awful. <laughs> right. So, so I suppose I, you had to have done that in bursts, right? Because there's no way you watched a movie every single day. Yeah. It's, uh, you can keep a movie a day for a little bit and then you're going to have to take a break. And then on the weekends, you're probably going to have to watch two or three sure. in a row. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, it was, uh, I want to say it was like August or September. Netflix added the ability to where you can speed up the movie to 1.5 times. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. I haven't used that feature, but yeah. So you can actually get through it really quickly. And uh, it was like, okay, I've seen this movie a hundred times. I know it goes on in it. Set it up to 1.5. <laughs> I could help the process along a little bit, huh? Yeah. I could power through it real quick. Uh, some of the stuff I have on Blu-ray, I can watch on the PlayStation cause it'll do the 1.5 as well. So when I was doing like the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, you know, cause some of those are like three and a half hours long. That definitely Real helps. Long films. Yeah. You know, because I have to do the director's editions because I'm special. Well, yeah, you know, obviously you want to <laughs> capture the full artistic image of the movie. Yeah, exactly. And it's uh, really fun trying to watch it with the kids because then they're like, I am bored. I don't know what is going on. <laughs> There's yeah. little people running around with uh, hair on their feet. I don't get it. <laughs> well, if you think you're having a hard time with the movie, just wait till you try and read the uh, book, kiddo. Oh, yeah. I've, tr I've tried doing that with a four-year-old. She doesn't like it. There's uh... <laughs> I was like, okay, you know, this is, you know, only the books that I read every year. Right. Help daddy out with his hobby. You know, no such luck. But I can read comic books to her. She'll at least uh, sit there and read Spider-Man and stuff. At least look at the pictures and everything. So, right. A little win there. Have you read any good runs recently? Any comics you really enjoyed? Uh, I actually dropped off reading comics in like uh, 2008. So I think after... Civil War came out. I bought like the graphic novel where they got all the issues into one book. Oh, sure. The Civil War omnibus. Yeah. So it was like kind of like the last thing I read. Honestly, I think, that was the last good event they did. Yeah. 
1602 one was uh, kind of weird where they took all the Marvel characters and put them in Victorian England. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of funny because you're sitting there watching like, okay, he's supposed to be a blonde Indian. I was like, yeah, this is totally going to be Captain America. And of course, by the end, it was. <laughs> right. Or you had Nick Fury playing the John D role as the advisor to the throne. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a uh, an assistant, Peter Parker, you know. <laughs> yep. He's like, oh, my God, you got stabbed. and It was magic. And he goes, no, it's chain mail and silk. <laughs> He's not getting through this. <laughs> you know, at least at least that was interesting, though. Yeah, it was a, it was a pretty interesting take on it. It did a really good job of being unique as opposed to just another world threatening menace. From Yes, exactly. Uh, and then some of the other stuff I got involved with with the uh, the audio drama podcast that they've come out with. So they've had uh, two seasons of Wolverine, and they did one with the uh, the Fantastic Four, which was awesome. I am a little bit surprised I'd not heard of that actually. Yeah, they. Uh, I want to say it was, came out like exclusively on Stitcher, like if you had like a Stitcher Premium. Oh sure, well that would explain thing, why. and then they released it later, like all together. You could probably still find it. One was the the one with Wolverine. It's just uh, there's two seasons of that. And they had uh, Richard Armitage play Wolverine in it. So those were pretty good. And then the the one with uh, the Fantastic Four was just called Marvels. Which had an interesting take on it where they kind of faked Galactus coming to Earth. But uh, it was like a, a project Bluebeam sort of deal. Yeah, type of thing where they had like a hologram of Galactus and the Silver Surfer there. But it was a really interesting take on it. They're like uh, eight to ten episodes each. Okay. Yeah, those I don't listen to at double speed. I turn it down to one just so I can catch everything. Very well produced. So. You know, I like that sort of radio drama thing too. I oh, appreciate well, that. Yeah, you'll definitely love those. Doing that. Yeah. Yeah, you'll definitely love those. I mean, they're speed up through the commercials and everything, but uh, very well worth the time. Especially if you like those characters. Richard Armitage did a really good Wolverine, so. <laughs> Absolutely. Not so much a Thor and Oaken shield, but, you know, Wolverine he was pretty good at. Right. <laughs> it was actually kind of funny when that came out. They were, like, kind of dropping hints that maybe he would be the new Wolverine in the movies, too. Oh, yeah? Because he could probably pull that off. He's got the physicality for it, but. I guess I'd never even really thought about that possibility. Maybe I should have, but. <laughs> Yeah, it gets really interesting when you start seeing who they've got for certain roles and you're like, wait, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man? That's not going to work. And then you know, sure enough, it did. <laughs> yeah, that one really worked out. Paid huge dividends. That was kind of the big Marvel reboot, it seems like. Yeah, that was the, uh, the thing where Marvel had sold off all of the film rights to their most popular properties to like Sony and Fox. So like the X-Men and uh spider-man and everything so this, those comic books would sell you'd put them down on the rack and the kids would come and buy them up really quick yeah but they always had like iron man and the avengers that weren't really popular that they kind of held on to and they just kind of blew it up with that and originally the iron man role was supposed to go to tom cruise now can you imagine how different that movie would have been oh i'm glad they didn't because <laughs> i just he doesn't have the right swagger for that role yeah I, he, he's got swagger but not the right kind 
Yeah, just, Tony Stark has to be that lovable asshole, <laughs> you know. And when you're thinking, when you're looking back at it, it's like, oh, well, I guess Robert Downey Jr. would have been the perfect pick for that. But uh, yeah, they were going to try a, d- a completely different route with that. Tom Cruise was supposed to play Tony Stark slash Iron Man, and they were going to kind of do it as a Tom Clancy esque type of story, which could be fun. I think. yeah. But I think no, they ultimately didn't go with story, it because, yeah, since it's basically every Mission Impossible movie he's ever done. So. Right. <laughs> oh, but speaking of Tom Cruise, did you see the guy doing the deep fake? Yes, that uh, semi-viral, viral TikTok. No, that guy's got tons more videos of Does him he? as Tom Cruise. I, I just saw the one that's been passing around recently, but. Oh yeah. No, he does like another one where he does a coin trick and it's, it is so creepy to watch it because halfway through it, you kind of forget this is a guy doing a Tom Cruise impression with the, with the deep fake face over it. And there for a second, you kind of believe it was like, well, what's Tom Cruise doing out here on this golf course? I don't, I don't understand. Well, you know, not to get too serious and start scaring people again, but that's, (laughs) That's actually a really big problem though, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's going to be because you're not going to be able to believe your own eyes. Yeah. The fact that Amazon allows law enforcement access to the video of every single ring doorbell camera in the country. How long until they can start planting evidence on those or manufacturing evidence using those video feeds? You know, it's if they can't already, I guess even. Yeah, what a time to be alive. So, <laughs> I mean, they can already pretty much fake a lot of evidence to make it look like you did whatever they say you did type of thing. But if we're going to start a- acting, having deep fakes on there, and the guy who does, he's got Tom Cruise's mannerisms down, his speech cadence, everything. The only thing that's missing, like the real guy doesn't look anything like Tom Cruise. So when he puts the face on there, it just... It sells it. It's the craziest thing. You have to get somebody who's got to study somebody enough to where they can sort of act like him. Right. That's the one thing still holding them back is you got to be able to do the mannerisms. Yeah. But uh, the Unreal Engine also released their like their latest uh, human like game uh, avatar thing. Okay. And those are so lifelike. It's pretty pretty crazy and the way that they do the animations and everything is like you don't have to have mocap for that i mean all they need is like a voice recording and they'll animate the face around it oh no (laughs) (laughs) oh no yeah so like halfway watching this video i was like oh no the video games are gonna get like really really crazy good and then, like, I was just thinking, just like you did, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. This is not going to be good at all. Because <laughs> I've got enough audio out there that I'm pretty sure I can get framed for something. I'm I'm definitely sure of it. <laughs> yeah, enough hours of podcasts that you can piece something together if you need to. <laughs> that is not good, actually. <laughs> yeah, so remember, like I was saying, where I have to do the lip smacking thing. So if you don't hear that on a video, I didn't do it, okay? So. Right, <laughs> or your little uh you know deep breath before you try to think about what you're gonna say next yeah we'll all have our little tells that they won't pick up on maybe 
you know what and hopefully maybe we should start leaving those in the audio so we can train people to know what to expect right <laughs> exactly edit out enough to where it tricks the algorithm i guess right. i don't know <laughs> we'll figure it out i'm pretty sure we will well, that sounds like a, a pretty good place to uh, drop it off at this time. We'll always have to have you back for another one. Uh, go ahead and uh, drop all your plugs. Yeah, so follow me on Twitter where I'm most active, at TLEpause. Listen to me on the Scarlet Thread Society. That's on your Timeline Earth podcast feed last Friday of every month. Yes. Listen to the rest of their episodes, too. Hear me at the Gaslight Hour and find me wandering around various in-group podcasts. Uh, That's right. One last thing, if I might just add in. Go for it. If you have any paranormal encounters or weird experiences that you would like to have featured on the Scarlet Thread Society, I am always looking for listener stories. Please email them to pause at timelineearth.org. Well, I might just email you that entire episode I did with Jake Lindsay because we we talked about a lot of paranormal stuff on that one. So <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> All right, man. We'll take it easy. We'll uh, we'll catch you around the uh, the timeline. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, dude. All right, no problem, man. Take it easy. All right, folks, and there he goes, Dexter De La Paz, Scarlet Thread Society. Go ahead and uh, click down below in the show notes because that's where I'll have all this stuff. And uh, guys. Also check out down there because I have all the different ways you can support this content creator. I've got the uh, patreons the subscribe stars the float everything's down there so uh get all of that a a good watch a good listen if you think my tweets are funny if you're using the brave browser you can tip me in bat i found that out because i keep receiving like five cent tips here and there for my tweets which is hilarious anyways guys take it easy and we'll catch you back next time with a brand new episode of rebel with a cause out <laughs>